Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM, our late show. Are you kidding me? Where else would you rather be on a Tuesday night here in the city of Jacksonville than hanging out with Dylan Denmark and yours truly? Here on Hacker After Dark, and we certainly appreciate you staying up late with us. We got a ton to do this evening. Guest lineup looks like this. In about 20 minutes, Hayes Carline. You hear him every day on the Frangie Show. He's one of our Jaguar guys here on 1010XL. So we'll get Hayes Carline's thoughts on the win over the Chargers and certainly look ahead to the matchup in Kansas City. Speaking of Kansas City, I know there's a lot of Jaguar fans are making the trip to Kansas City. We'll talk to one of them, the Jags mega fan on Twitter, David Mendenhall. He's actually making the drive up to Kansas City on Friday morning. He is a Jaguar fan. There is no doubt about that. And we're going to catch up with some fans over the next couple of nights here on Hacker After Dark. We'll kick it off with David Mendenhall, super Jags fan that's making the trip to KC. We'd like to get his perspective and fans' perspective in general on what's gone on here over the last two months or so. That's coming up a little later on. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, will stop by, and Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network. I wanted to get Ryan on because, look, there's a lot of guys on this Jaguar team that are rookies or in their second year that Ryan studied, that Ryan did a lot of research on for thedraftnetwork.com, and I'm just curious to get his thoughts as a guy who studied all these players coming into the draft during their college years. What are his thoughts on Luke Fortner, Walker Little, Andre Sisco, Tyson Campbell? Go on down the line, all of these rookies, these second-year guys that are playing such a big role for the Jacksonville Jaguars and their unbelievable run to the divisional playoffs. So we'll do all that tonight. We're with you till midnight in Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. November the 13th. It was week 10 of the NFL season. The Jaguars walked off the field of Arrowhead in Kansas City, losing that game 27-17 and falling to 3-7 and on the year. They would go to their bye week at 3-7. and During their bye week in week 11, Tennessee would win a game against Green Bay. And Tennessee was 7-3. and three. The Jaguars were 3-7, and seven, entering Week 12. And it was in Week 12 where everything changed for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I've been thinking about this today. And I'm sure you guys have been thinking about it. And it's a simple thought. 
<laughs> it doesn't take a lot of uh, research. The Jacksonville Jaguars were three and seven on November the twenty seventh. You get that three and seven on November twenty seventh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. That's not that long ago. Thanksgiving was not that long ago. Three and seven. And since that moment, on November 27th, that was the day the Jaguars came from behind to beat the Baltimore Ravens. If you'll remember that game, the Jaguars had to drive the length of the field down a touchdown. Calais Campbell forced a fumble on Trevor Lawrence that he recovered, but it's third and 20. It then goes to fourth and five. Season's over if you don't get that. <clears throat> the season is over. They convert the fourth and five. They continue driving the ball down the field. Ultimately, Trevor Lawrence hits Marvin Jones for the touchdown. They go for two. They get it with Zay Jones and Justin Tucker's 67-yard field goal comes up just a little short. So now you get to four and seven. Then you go to Detroit, and there was something that happened in Detroit that was the single biggest deal of this entire streak. The one game they lost. They've won seven out of eight. The one game they lost was Detroit. Because right before halftime, Trevor Lawrence got sacked and he laid on the turf there at Ford Field. Got bent over like a pretzel. And there was a two or three minute stretch there where I think every Jaguar fan, <coughs> excuse me, Jaguar media member, anybody that has a vested interest in this team, imagine the worst. ACL, MCL, meniscus, Achilles, something, high ankle sprain. There was no way that he did not get hurt on that play. No way. But he didn't get hurt. I guess he suffered a toe injury. But he hasn't missed any time as a result of that. They lose to Detroit to fall to 4-8. and eight. They go to Nashville. And if you don't beat the Titans in Nashville, your season's over. You're eliminated from the division. You're eliminated from postseason. But they won in Nashville for the first time in nine years. You're five and eight. You come home to play Dallas. Jaguars are driving the ball. Down a field goal. 90 seconds to go. Trevor Lawrence fumbles. Oh. Game's over. But you had three timeouts. Dallas could not do anything with the ball. Jaguars get the ball back. Evan Ingram, the play where he got out of bounds, might have saved the Jaguars' season. They drive down, tie it up with a field goal, and then ultimately win it in overtime. Then... You beat an inferior Jets team. You beat an inferior Texans team. You then have an AFC South championship game against the Titans. 
you're losing in that game with three minutes to go. You come back and you win that game too. And you ultimately win last Saturday, the third biggest comeback in league history in the postseason. It has been a crazy run. Crazy. But it's been a lot of fun, man. But everything you've accomplished does lead the question. Now that you're in the divisional round of the playoffs, only eight teams left, is it a house money situation? Even if you lose to Kansas City, does it matter? Because of everything the Jaguars have accomplished. Doug Peterson met the media today. He was asked about the, quote, house money situation. Whether it's our money or house money, um, we're here. And uh, it's a credit to those players in the locker room and the coaching staff for, you know, believing in each other, obviously working hard. What we've done down the stretch, you know, regardless of the mishaps, we're here. I, I try to block out the best I can with the team. You just block out the noise. You block out the negativity. You block out whether it's lack of respect or whatever. You know, we have a young quarterback, whatever it might be. You know, we're one of four in the AFC left. That says a lot. It says a lot about these guys. And, um, you know, we're excited for the opportunity. You know, I was guilty of this last week. <clears throat> I did not think last week was house money. I understand people that did. You win the division, a great comeback. But I was of the opinion where, okay, you're playing an L.A. team that has very little postseason experience. You're at home, first primetime playoff game at home in franchise history. Absolutely the way the game started, if you would have lost in that fashion, that would have left a bad taste in your mouth. You come back and you win that game. Now, look, you're a nine-point dog going to Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey. It's going to be tough. But I'm not sure if it even matters because of everything the Jaguars have accomplished. Jaguars played the Chiefs earlier this year. Doug Peterson reflected on that game. Offensively, we know we can play better. We didn't execute early in that game very well. Um, had opportunities. We missed some kicks early that probably could have kept us in the football game, made it a little bit closer. We had a touchdown called back, you know, things of that nature. We just got to execute better uh, looking at that. And defensively, um, we settled down in the second half. But again, um, just the, the mental mistakes, you know, the errors that we made of, you know, being out of position or, you know, out of alignments and gaps and things of that nature. So, yeah, we'll go back and obviously look at that. Uh, we've made the correction since then. And, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully go out and, and put a, you know, put a four-quarter game together. I like the fact they've already played one game in Kansas City this year. Even though they lost, <clears throat> they're familiar, the surroundings. It won't be like a deer in headlights look. And then there's the head coaching matchup. The friends, but also the teacher and the student, right? Andy Reid, Doug Peterson. And Doug Peterson will tell you, he said it this week already, how much he's learned from Andy Reid. In fact, he talked about Andy Reid earlier today. We talk, yeah, no, we talk during the season. Um, we do. Um, obviously, this week's different, but, and when we played him, you know, uh, a while back, but I still listen. I, I, I owe a lot to Coach Reed, you know, uh, my career, not only as a player, but as a coach. And, and I still want to, I want to pick his brain and, and, and learn. He's been doing this a long time and he's been, you know, really, really successful, you know, uh, at it. So, 
anything I can learn and take away from him is, uh, is a blessing for me. Yeah, look, Jaguars are a different team. The Jaguars are a different team now than they were on November 13th. And Kansas City is a different team. Remember, that was Kadarius Tony's first game as a Chief. He's obviously much more acclimated now. Chiefs had some injuries back then. They're pretty healthy now. Look, the Jaguars are a nine-point dog for a reason. Kansas City's really good. Arrowhead's a hard place to go into and win in the postseason. But as I told you guys last week, the term they can't does not apply to this Jaguar football team. They can't come back from 27-0 down after committing five turnovers. Yeah, you're right. 99.9% of the time, no NFL team was going to come back from that. The Jaguars did. First team in the history of the NFL in the postseason to be minus five in the turnover battle and win the game. Absolutely incredible. The fact that the Jaguars have been losing by a combined 80 points when you consider the last five home games. Kansas City, or I'm sorry, Los Angeles, Tennessee, Dallas, Baltimore, Las Vegas. A combined 80 points. They've trailed every one of those games by at least nine points at one time in the game. They've won them all. The job that Doug Peterson's done has been incredible. The job Trevor Lawrence has done at 23 years old has been incredible. Trevor Lawrence today also met the media, and he was asked what I just talked about. How are the Jags different than the first time they played Kansas City? I mean, week 10 seems so long ago. I mean, it, you know, I guess it was 10 weeks ago. So um, I think just, you know, speaking of the team, I think we're in a really good spot. We have a lot of confidence played a lot of football since then. You know, we've we've won a lot of games since then. Um, you know, I think we've played much better in this stretch than we did earlier in the season. There's no doubt you've played better. No doubt at all. And keep in mind, I'm going to har- I'm going to harp on this all week. That first Kansas City game, Jaguars could have played a whole lot better than they did. They recovered an onside kick, didn't do anything with it. Opening kickoff They forced not one, not two, but three chief turnovers. And Riley Patterson missed two field goals. And, oh, by the way, they had a touchdown called back because they had a lineman downfield. Now, you can't do all that stuff again, obviously. But that game in November could have been very different if only one or two of those things would not have happened. If the Jaguars play a clean game, They will have every opportunity to win this thing. There's no doubt about that. We got guests coming up all over the place all week long. We kick it off tonight. Again, Hayes Carline of the Frangie Show, Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, just to name a few. Denmark, it is Tuesday night. It is our late night here on Hacker After Dark, and we always like to hook up the hard-working men and women of Northeast Florida with some giveaways and such on Tuesday night. We're here for you, man. We're here for the midnight folks, the graveyard shift, 
The guys at the airport, I know you're out there listening. You better get ready. There's one of the Jaguar fans heading your way over the next couple of days, heading out to Kansas City. But Denmark, we enjoy giving stuff away here on Hacker After Dark on Tuesday nights. What do we have for the good folks this evening? I got a pair of tickets to a Big Band of Brothers, a jazz celebration to the Allman Brothers on January 25th at Ponte Vedra Concert Hall. Give me a call, 641-1010. Ponte Vedra Concert Hall, a tribute to the Allman Brothers. If you want to go, it's very simple. Just be caller number four right now, 641-1010, and Dylan Denmark will hook you up with those pair of tickets. Hayes Carline of the Franzi Show, next on a Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line, brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chiefs, Saturday at 4.30. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Let's talk to one of our Jaguar guys here on 1010XL, Hayes Carline. You hear him every afternoon on the Frangie Show, and he's always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. Hayes, how we doing, man? Hacker, I am doing great. I am racing. I cannot wait for Saturday, and uh, it's uh, it's always a pleasure to, to chat with you. I appreciate you having me on. Hayes, how did we get here? How did uh, the Tennessee game Miracles. happen? <laughs> miracles uh, very I mean, simple feel, answer right feel that way i i still can't believe I, i'm still not sure they beat the chargers hacker yeah it, i still can't believe it well you know look and look we'll talk about the chiefs game in a moment but you go back to november 13th right when they walked off the field at arrowhead they were three and seven going into the bye the the titans at that point were three and a half games ahead the titans won a game on the jaguar bye week to get the seven and three so it's a four-game lead for the Titans after week 11. And now here we are in the middle of January, and there's eight teams left, and the Jaguars are one of them. It's, um, Hayes, it's extraordinary. Uh, it, it truly is. I mean, they were, they were dead and buried. I mean, it, you know, you, you needed so many things to, to go right to their credit you know, they just, you know, they, they certainly weren't handed these comeback wins. I mean, what they were able to do against Baltimore and Dallas, I mean, it, it's, it was, you know, remarkable. And, and then obviously uh, what they were able to do in the AFC South title game against Tennessee. And, and this, this past one was one for the ages. I mean, Hacker, you and I might do this another 30 years, God willing. I don't know that we'll ever see a game that good. I mean, that was unbelievable. So they have found something. And, uh, you know, you, you try to avoid the, you know, the talk of belief and, you know, things like that in sports because every team kind of uses that as, and, and for a lot of them, it is a cliche, but for this one, I think it's, it's, it's genuine in the sense of they're not overly talented. There's no pro bowlers on this team. They're, they're very young. It's not like there's a lot of grizzled 31, 32-year-olds that have seen a lot of things in this league and have experience, you know, digging out of holes. You know, this is a team that had no identity. It's their first year together for a lot of them, the coaching staff and and a lot of these players. And it's, it's really remarkable how a group of men can come together and form this unique bond because they clearly have it. You can't have the five comebacks that they've had 
without having really, really strong character. And, and, you know, my guess is some of that was discovered by accident. I mean, I, I know that that was a priority, but you couldn't have foreseen this as you were building it, but it just seems to be a team that there's never any finger pointing. There's just, there's just a, 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 a collection of individuals saying, what do I have to do to be better, you know, in the second half or in this next possession or, and it just it's just worked marvelously. I think Doug Peterson deserves a ton of credit. The players obviously really have responded to him. And it's remarkable. I mean, it really is, you know, it, it would be worth a documentary. I mean, it's it, particularly if they end up winning Saturday and, and going for, further. But to make it this far, like you said, to the Elite Eight, um, when you think of the quality franchises, coaches, players that, that you know, are, are in the offseason now, it really is extraordinary, and again, like we've said from the start, this is this is a year early. This is they they are arriving well before they were expected to arrive. So it really gets you excited about the future as well. Ten Ten XLs, hey, it's Carlon here with us on Hacker After Dark. You know, Doug Peterson. It's funny how things work out. Rewind the clock back a year. Jaguar fans eh, lukewarm on that idea. Everybody seemingly wanted Byron Leftwich. It appears Byron Leftwich is about to be shown the door in Tampa as the offensive coordinator. And now you you have Doug, who, I mean, good grief. Uh, he probably won't win Coach of the Year because I get it. Brian Dable's in New York, and he also did a great job. But, Hayes, I'm sorry, man. There is not a coach in the NFL under the circumstances they inherited that has done a better job this year than Doug Peterson. Yeah, there's 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 no doubt about it. I mean, I, I he would get my vote for sure. Uh, I you know I would listen to Kyle Shanahan because I think when you get down to your third quarterback, that's usually a death sentence, even if you've got a really good team around you. Uh, for for Kyle Shanahan to be able to go from Trey Lance to Jimmy Garoppolo to Brock Purdy, not miss a beat. Um, you know, I I think that's pretty extraordinary. But from a totality standpoint, from looking at everything. Uh, I think Doug Peterson uh, should be the choice. I mean, Kyle Shanahan you know, has a, a good team, and it's not his first year there. So, that, you know, they, they're not trying to recreate the wheel. You know, they, they're just – they're sort of tweaking their program at this point. You know, Doug Peterson arrived – basically arrived to a building that was in smoldering ashes and was tasked with rebuilding it and has done a, a magnificent job. And – so, yeah, I think the degree of difficulty was much more difficult for Doug Peterson, uh, you know, than, than any other coach, he, even even Dayball, you know, who, who did win, you know, obviously upset the Vikings uh, uh, this weekend. And the coach of the year voting is, is over. It, it, it ends at the end of the regular season. So none of none of what the Jaguars or Giants are doing are going to affect that. But, you know, looking at Dayball, you know, they kind of slid in the second half. I mean, they got off to the hot start, but then they kind of faded. They finished third in their division. Uh, and it's a tough division, but look, you finished third out of four teams. Um, yeah, I, I really don't think it should be Dayball. And I agree with you. I think he's probably going to get it because he was the first half landslide winner and voters tend to lock in. But I think it absolutely should be Doug Peterson. And if it isn't Doug Peterson this year, you got to think he's got a great chance to win it moving forward because, I mean, this thing looks pretty, you know, sustainable here with Trevor and what he's been able to do. And, you know, Calvin Ridley coming into the fold next year. It's it's certainly an exciting time. 
couple of more for Hayes Carline. Hayes, if he wasn't a legend already after Saturday night's performance to go celebrate at the Waffle House, put him on a <laughs> different pedestal here in Jacksonville. I mean, Trevor freaking Lawrence. And again, we, we need to resurrect, or, or not resurrect, but uh, establish a statue of Frank Gore is somewhere down there around that stadium and thank him every single day for beating the Los Angeles Rams in December of 2020 to allow Jacksonville to be handed the greatness that appears to be Trevor Lawrence. Without a doubt. Um, <clears throat> what he did Saturday night, I think, was more impressive than if he'd gone 29-30 for seven touchdowns, 569 yards, no picks, 158.3 passer rating. Uh, to, to be able to throw four picks, a playoff record, four picks in the first half, to have a 0.0 passer rating that deep into a game, I've never seen that. I mean, I, I I didn't even know that that was – I guess you, anything's possible, but I've never seen a quarterback be 4 of 16 for 30 yards with no touchdowns, four interceptions, a 0.0 rating. Uh, you think about the scrutiny he would have faced this offseason. You think about the embarrassment because you're not doing this on, you know, a week 12, 1 o'clock block where there's eight other games going on. So it, it's going to kind of get maybe get lost a little bit. You're the only game going. I mean, everybody's watching. This is playoff football. Uh, for him to be able to turn that start and and then go 24 of 31 for 258 yards, four touchdowns and no picks, and direct a victory and run for a two-point conversion, I, it was it, – it's it's Ruthian. It's Jordan-esque. It's, it's a performance that will be talked about for as long as – we have football because it's going to be the model for any coach that's going to, you know, talk to a player that's struggling in a game and say, remember Trevor Lawrence and the wild card win over the chargers and how bad he was really just hang in there. It, it, it gives the Jaguars a crystallized belief for as long as they have Trevor Lawrence, they can win any game that they're in. And, uh, and that is so valuable. And I also think it sent a statement to the rest of the league, to the rest of the players that, you know, we'll be moving on to other clubs in the next year, or two years, or three years. That you see what he did, and that's the kind of player that a, a veteran player looks at and says, I want to play with him. And that also is worth its weight in gold. Because there are players out there that when it, at certain points of their career, not when they're 27, but when they get to the 31, 32, and they've made a lot of money, uh, you know, they want to win, you know, particularly if they never have. And Trevor Lawrence is going to present that, and and I think he did it in such a way. You just don't do that. I mean, you just don't you just don't have a comeback like that. And uh, it, it was it was remarkable, and it speaks volumes about his toughness, his character, and and his skills. All right, Hayes, let's focus on Kansas City. I know you're heading out there. Uh, I believe you guys are doing the um, the kickoff show out in Kansas City on Saturday, correct? Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Hopefully, I think we're at a. Uh, Fairfield Inn in downtown. Uh, I think it's called like Union Union Hill. So uh, we'd love it if any Jaguar fans in Kansas City want to come by and say hey to us. Oh, that's perfect. All right, so I did an interview out in Kansas City yesterday, and nothing against the host. He's a buddy of mine. But these are some of the questions I was getting. Uh, did the Chargers collapse, or was it really a Jaguar comeback? That seems to be the national narrative, right? 
And then he was telling me how Kansas City fans believe November 13th, even though it was only a 10-point win for the Chiefs, well, it should have been a lot bigger because the Chiefs turned the ball over three times. And the early thought out there is that Kansas City is going to have very little trouble with the Jaguars. And, uh, you know, the the lack of respect, I guess, never ceases to amaze me. But I I can't imagine the Chief players – uh, and and Andy Reid certainly they they're not saying that that's just the idea of the fans out there. I mean, what's your early thought? I know it's very early in the week, but what are you thinking heading into this game on Saturday? Well, I, I think the Jaguars certainly have a chance because I and I understand the Chiefs were minus three in that game, uh, but the Chiefs were worse in turnover margin throughout the year than the Jaguars. Now the Jaguars are coming off a minus five. Uh, so that certainly changes things. But they were plus five in the regular season. The Chiefs were minus three. Uh, so the regular season would tell you the Jaguars do a better job of protecting the ball. So that could carry over again. The Jaguars obviously have to win the turnover margin. But I think when you look at the three losses that Kansas City endured this year, they lost in week three at Indianapolis. How, I have no idea. They lost in week six at home to Buffalo. That's their only loss in Arrowhead this year. And they lost week 13 at Cincinnati, December 4th. That was their last loss. If you look at those three losses and what each game has in common, it took two things. And they're both on the offensive side. Uh, It took uh, all three quarterbacks played fantastic, as you would expect. Matt Ryan had a passer rating of 105.9. Josh Allen was 117.6. Joe Burrow was 126.6. Uh, and and ran for 46 yards and a touchdown. So you got to have elite quarterback play. So Trevor's got to play great. Obviously, you can't have the start he had the other night. He's got to play great throughout uh, to have a chance. The other thing these teams did, and this is the key, they ran the ball and ran the ball and ran the ball. Uh, Cincinnati ran for 152 yards, and that was without Joe Mixon. Uh, P. Ryan had 106 yards that night. Uh, the Bills ran it for 125 on 31 carries. Singletary had 85 yards, and then the Colts—they uh, didn't run. They didn't run for much. They ran for 82, but they ran it 27 times. So they never got away from it. And because of that, all three of those teams held the ball a pretty considerable margin more than the Chiefs had it that day. In fact, Cincinnati was brilliant. Uh, Cincinnati held the ball for 10:07 of the first quarter to really set the tone. The Chiefs only had eight possessions in the game. And just to put that in perspective, the Chargers had 13 the other night against the Jaguars. So you got to obviously shorten the game. You've got to make them antsy because they can't get out on the field. That's going to make them press. Really, that's the path. I mean, there, there really isn't another one because you, I don't think you can get in a shootout with the Chiefs. I just think they're, they're, they're too far along at this point. So it's got to be – a. You've got to sort of ugly up the game. You've got to make it a body blow game where you're really attacking them on the ground. Uh, When you do throw it, Trevor's got to be electric. And then you just have to hope that you fall into a couple of stops. Hayes, final question. Got about two minutes to go. You know, last week I heard people talking about, well, it's house money at this point after you beat the Titans and win the division. And I didn't agree with that because, you know, the Chargers didn't have a lot of postseason experience. You're playing at home, under the lights, prime time, particularly the way the game started. It would have been awful for the season to end in that fashion. But it didn't. You won the game. At this point now, and again, not the players or the coaches, we're talking directly to the fans. 
is it house money at this point? Is it we have nothing to lose because, my goodness, everything this team's accomplished? I don't think it's house money in the sense that once you make it this far and you're three wins away from the Lombardi Trophy, I, I think there's uh, – I, I, you know, I, I think you've got to focus on that. But I'll, I'll say I don't anticipate there being much – overall disappointment if they don't get it done Saturday. If you go into Arrowhead and, and lose the game, I think everybody will be disappointed in the moment. But I think, you know, when you wake up Sunday morning, you wake up and feeling really good about where your team is headed and excited about the offseason and certainly the 2023 campaign. So uh, so from that standpoint, it's certainly house money because the other teams aren't like that. If, if Kansas City, if Buffalo, if Cincinnati loses this weekend, they're devastated. You know, they feel like they've blown a, a window to, or not a window, but they've blown a year where they were legitimate Super Bowl contenders. I don't think the Jaguars feel that way, but go win the whole thing. You know, you've got to win three more games and yeah, you've got to win three more games against really tough teams and tough environments, but you've got Trevor Lawrence, you've got Doug Peterson, you've got a defense that's taking the ball away. Go get it done. Go find a way. And, you know, this team has believed in each other when really no one else did. And, again, it's only a cliche if it, it you know, if it, if it doesn't apply. It absolutely applies to this team. It feels like they have something special. So, I, you know, I'm not putting anything past them. I think they can absolutely go into Arrowhead and win the game. Hey, it's Carline. You hear him every afternoon on the Franzi Show, and you'll hear him on Saturday in Kansas City for the Jaguars and the Chiefs as they'll kick off our pregame coverage on Saturday, I guess late morning, right, Hayes? What are we thinking, 11, 11.30 for the kickoff show? Yeah, 11 o'clock for the kickoff show. So uh, please join us. It'll be a little little longer, 11 to 1.30 uh, on Saturday. Perfect. Well, Hayes, safe travels, and uh, let's go win a game in Kansas City, and you and I will talk AFC Championship next week. How about that? That sounds great, Hacker. Thanks so much. Always appreciate Hayes Carline for joining us here on Hacker After Dark. And, yeah, the kickoff show 11 a.m. is when our coverage starts on Saturday. That'll take you up through the game broadcast, the network post game, and then Leon Searcy, Dave Campo, and myself will have a special edition of the fifth quarter. We're thinking we're going to start probably about 9.30 Saturday night. Good grief. If they if they win in Arrowhead, that will be an unbelievable fifth quarter. So we... um. Bottom line is it's January 17th, you know? Tennessee just hired a general manager today. Former Gator, by the way, Rand Carthon, is reportedly the next Titan general manager. They've already conducted a GM search. Why? Their season's been over 10 days. All these head coaching openings that are about to get filled in the next couple of days. Because all, all, you know, 24 teams are already in to their off season, Just like the Jaguars have been. Time and time and time again. Not this year. And again, call it fate. Call it destiny. Call it a coincidence. But on Saturday, when the Jaguars play the Chiefs, that's January 21st. That'll be five years to the day where Miles Jack wasn't down in Foxborough. What's this year always been about? Ending streaks. Couldn't win in Nashville. Been nine years. You won in Nashville. Couldn't win a true road game. It had been since December of 2019 since you won a true road game. That streak came to an end. You lost, what, 20 in a row against NFC teams. 
that streak came to an end. You haven't won a primetime road game in two decades. That streak ended up in New York on a Thursday night. You didn't win the division in the last five years. You won the division this year, and you just so happened to be playing this game in Arrowhead on the five-year anniversary of Miles Jack wasn't down. 641-1010 is the phone number. Again, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Ryan Fowler, the Draft Network, still to come here on Hacker After Dark. But coming up next, it's all about you. It's all about the fans. And by the way, from what I've seen, there are a lot of you that are making the trip to Kansas City. A lot of you that are making the trip to Arrowhead for the AFC Divisional Playoff this Saturday. One of the Jaguar fans making the trip is Jags Mega Fan on Twitter. My buddy David Mendenhall, you've probably seen him on TV. I think Channel 4 has done some stuff on him. He's got like a Jaguar man cave in his house. The guy is just an absolute super fan. There is no doubt about that. He's getting ready to make the drive, the drive to Kansas City on Friday morning. We'll talk with David Mendenhall next about the fans' perspective of what the Jaguars have done the last two months and what the expectation is moving forward. With Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you're with us on our late night show on a Tuesday. We're with you on Midnight Jacksonville here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chiefs. Saturday afternoon, 4.30. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. You know, I'm so happy for the fans, the fans that have been here for so many years through all the losses, all the awful free agent and coaching decisions, because you are the ones that deserve what's going on right now, and we got one of them on the line here. My buddy David Mendenhall, uh, Jags mega fan on Twitter. David, I can only begin to imagine how excited you are at what's gone on here with a franchise you've supported for years and years. Oh, I am super excited. I mean, I have been waiting for this moment. 2017, we got close, but this year I feel something out there. It's, it's just something special, and I'm really excited to see where we go this year. You know, now I'm friends with you on Facebook and, and Twitter, and and look, you, uh, you have a Jaguar kind of museum, right, in your house. I've seen you with all the jerseys that you have on your wall. I mean, when you call yourself the Jags mega fan, you're not joking. I mean, you live and die with this football team. Yes, sir. I sure do. Any Jags event, anything going on around town, if there's a game, a weight game, anything there is involved in the Jaguars, I'm going to be there. I love my team, and I love game-used jerseys because I get to capture the moment for the forever, basically. David, you're younger than I am, I believe. I'm going to say you're probably in your mid to late 30s. I mean, when did your your love for the Jaguars start? Uh, 95, 95. Really, we, we came into Jacksonville in 93. We found out we had the team, and as soon as we got um, – we got to 95. I got to meet Mark Brunel the first time, and I fell in love with the Jaguars. Yeah, it's kind of like my story, too. We moved over here, my mom, when I was 11 years old in 1995, literally moved to an apartment complex off of Bay Meadows Road, June of 95. The preseason opener was the Hall of Fame game in July of 95. So you and I are in the same boat there. And, and look, you've been through – you know, Gus Bradley and Doug Marone and Mike Malarkey and Urban Meyer 
And now when you see what Doug Peterson is doing with this football team, I mean, a guy like you that's been here since the beginning, you must be unbelievably excited. I'm super excited. I mean, this man is a genius. This guy takes a team that's losing by 27 points, fires them up at halftime, and gets them back out on the field, and we win the game. I mean, this is what this guy does. He's just an absolute genius, and he knows how to talk to the players, to relate with them, and get them to where they need to be to win the game. So we love this guy, and we're so glad he's on the Jaguars. David Mendenhall with us, Jags mega fan on Twitter. David, Trevor Lawrence, I mean, what, what else do you really need to say? 27 nothing down, four interceptions, just looks looks awful. And then in the last 32 minutes of that game Saturday night was damn near flawless. I mean, from your perspective, I know you're in that stadium every week. What did you see from Trevor Lawrence? I mean, it showed his character and motivation and determination there. I mean, he just got out there. I mean, any other quarterback might have fumbled, folded. I mean, pulled a Flacco. You know, you just you just fumble and just you give up on the team. But he didn't do that. He get he didn't give up. He got behind his guy. Said, "Hey, we're going to do this." And he went out there and proved the nation wrong. David, a lot of fans, you know, with good reason, stop going to the game, stop showing up. I mean, you can only take so much, right? 10 losses, 11 losses, 14 losses. I mean, there were some down, down times here in Jacksonville. There is absolutely no mistaking that. Why did you stick in there? Why why did you, uh, I mean, I think abandoned might be too strong, but why did you never, you know, stop going to the games? What was it, even through all those down years, that, that kept you the Jags mega fan that you are? I think I'm like every other super fan out there. We just believed and hoped and prayed and just knew that something was going to get better and our time was going to come. And we just had to be patient. Uh, we, we stuck behind our team. We didn't give up on them. And uh, now we're getting the payoff. Does it make it sweeter knowing you were there the entire time and that you never, you never left? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, this is a great time for us, and we got to go through the bad times, but now we finally get to eat. So we're, we're excited. All right, David Mendenhall with us, one of the biggest Jaguar fans you're going to find in this city. You are on your way to Kansas City. In fact, you have had a, a lot of road trips in the last couple of years. What's the plan? What, what's going on in Kansas City? What's uh, the itinerary? Uh, we're leaving Friday morning. We're going to be driving up to Kansas City. It's going to be a long drive, but we got three of us that we're heading up there, and we're going to be meeting up with about 100 other Jaguar fans. Uh, we're working on putting a tailgate together now. Um, Nikki McLaughlin is also working on putting a bus together that we might even be taking a bus up there. So everything is going in motion. We just got the news, you know, Sunday night, so now everything's going in motion. And we're going to see right now we're planning on just a car, but we really would like to get a bus together. You know, when you talk about guys like yourself, right, the Teal Street Hooligans, the Bold City Brigade, a lot of, uh, you know, the members of that group are like me, you know, mid to late 30s, grew up with this team. You see the, you know, we're having our own kids now, starting our own families, the next generation, you know, of Jaguar uh, fans are coming up. And you see the atmosphere against the Titans, right? You see the atmosphere against the Chargers, guys like yourself that are going to these road games. I mean, not only... David, to me, is the future bright for the organization, but the future is unbelievably bright for this fan base that has had to deal with so much, but now appears to be on the other side of it. Yeah, I really feel like we the start of a dynasty is here. We got everything in place. We got a young team. They're hungry. They want it all. And I mean, this is a perfect time to be a Jaguar fan. 
All right, David, I know you're famous for your motivational uh, things you put on Twitter, which, by the way, I love. I think you do a great job with those. Give Jaguar fans one here right now. What's going to happen in Kansas City on Saturday? We're coming out there. We're coming in our teal. We're going to rock the stadium. We're going to fill it up with Jaguar fans. We're going to be super loud. Duval, come on, Jag fans. Let's get out there. Let's support our team, and let's be super loud. Let's do it. David Mendenhall on his way to Kansas City, one of the biggest Jaguar fans you'll find. You can find him on Twitter, at Jags Megafan. David, safe travels. If they win on uh, Saturday, man, we're going to have you right back here next week talking about the AFC Championship game. Yep, we're traveling there to the Super Bowl. Wherever these guys go, we're going with them. You know, we talk about how bright the future is for the organization. Um, players, front office, coaching staff, etc. Back to what I said to David uh, during that interview, I think you can apply the same line of thinking for the fan base, right? And I'm kind of the guy, you know, that I always refer to. I was 11 years old when the team played their first game on September 3rd, 1995. And now I'm 39 with my own son, and, and there are so many people in Jacksonville, in that boat, that were 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, maybe early teens when the Jaguars started here in 95, that are now in their mid to late 30s or early to mid 40s, that have their own families now, that you just keep the fandom going. Because look, and hopefully we're on the right side of this now, but a perfect example is I got a buddy of mine. He's a little older than me. He has a 16-year-old son. And this was last year I had this conversation with this guy. But he's like, look, my 16-year-old has never known anything but Jaguar futility. They were never any good when he was little. You know, when he was 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, they were terrible. They had the one good year in 2017 when he was, I guess, 12. And then 13, 14, 15, 16, they're awful again. And I think a lot of people are in that boat, you know. And when you're raising your your kids and they see Tom Brady doing this and, you know, this team, that Patrick Mahomes doing that and Josh Allen over here. It's tough, right, when the hometown team is losing consistently every single year. And a lot of kids were turned off by that. Became Patriot fans or Buffalo Bills fans or Kansas City Chief fans or, or whatever. But now with Trevor, who is going to be the symbol of this franchise for the next decade plus, it appears we're no longer going to have issues like that. So everything's bright. Everything's great. Everything appears to be on the way up. We're at halftime here on Hacker After Dark. One hour down, one hour to go. We're with it on midnight. It's our late show on a Tuesday in Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. As always, we are streaming for your viewing pleasure on YouTube. Just search 1010XL on YouTube. You'll see Hacker After Dark there till midnight tonight. Likewise, on Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter, you'll see the show there until midnight. Tonight with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you, Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network, Ryan Sexton, Jaguars.com. Coming up in the 11 o'clock hour here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM, it's Hacker After Dark.
This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. You know, this time of year, fans will look for anything to get their feathers ruffled, right? To get fired up even more than they already are. I saw some Jaguar fans earlier today, Denmark, all up in arms. Just all up in arms. That the NFL has already greenlit both the Chiefs and the Bills to start selling tickets for their potential AFC championship game in Atlanta. Of course, that'll be a neutral site game if the Chiefs and the Bills both win this weekend. What else do you want the NFL to do, right? I mean, they can't put the tickets on sale next Monday and say, all right, you got five days, go. It's a free-for-all. You got to plan ahead. But Jaguar fans are saying, oh, it's a disrespecting and disrespect card and this, that, and the other. I don't know what you want the NFL to do. What I think is a disrespect card is the Chiefs being a nine-point favorite. I'll listen to you on that. You know, Chief fans out there in Kansas City, based on what I was told yesterday on Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City, the show that I joined out there to talk to the Jags, fans out there apparently believe this will be easier for the Chiefs than the game in November was. That could be a disrespect card. But don't get all up in arms. The NFL is selling tickets to that game. They have to. It's a time issue more than anything else. Who cares? Fans do. I saw a bunch of them. I saw a bunch of them. Again, you'd be amazed how fans will get motivated. If you need any motivation for this, then I don't know what to tell you. It's the AFC Divisional Playoffs. It's Arrowhead. It's Patrick Mahomes against Trevor Lawrence. It's Andy Reid against Doug Peterson. It is going to be absolutely fantastic theater on Saturday in Kansas City, Missouri. And I know a lot of Jaguar fans are going, and I think that's awesome. I know there's going to be some parties there the night beforehand. Hope all you guys have a great time. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Ryan Fowler, the Draft Network, still to come tonight on our late edition of Hacker After Dark. We're with it on midnight every Tuesday with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. Let's talk to Brian Sexton next on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chiefs, Saturday, 430. You'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Let's talk to a man that's worked with the Jaguar organization since they opened the doors. His name is Brian Sexton. You see him now on Jaguars.com. Brian, how we doing, man? Good, Ryan. How are you? Brian, we're good. Um, Okay. Summarize Saturday night last week, um, 48 hours ago, about this time. Your thoughts on what we saw at TIAA Bankfield? Well, I'll tell you this, Ryan. At halftime, I was writing my quick thoughts, and I said, now I know how the Dolphins felt, right? Because this weekend was the 23rd anniversary of 62-7. to And I'll always remember that as, as, as the most fun game I have ever called because everything went the Jaguars' way. I mean, everything. And when the ball bounced off of Chris Claybrook's helmet to set up a chip shot field goal for the Chargers, I just started, well, now I know how the Dolphins felt. You know, here's the other side of it. Um, so I didn't, I, at halftime, I, how could you think that they were going to be able to overcome five turnovers, which no playoff team 
in league history had ever done. I didn't think there was enough. I didn't think there was enough time. I thought the Chargers were going to come back, focus on the ground game with Austin Eckler. I thought that Herbert would be efficient like he had been, finding the check down on third down. Well, that isn't what happened. They ran the ball seven times in the second half. Trevor Lawrence continued the hot streak from that last drive. You realize he threw a touchdown pass, including the last drive of the first half on four straight drives, and they scored the field goal to win the game on the fifth. So they took the horrendous beginning, and Trevor Lawrence made it a heroic ending. Um, Frankly, I'm still shocked that we're getting ready for Kansas City this week because the improbability of coming from behind 27 to 7 on a day that you turn the ball over five times is epic. It's epic. What an amazing amazing game there's no doubt about that you talk about trevor lawrence i mean four interceptions and i think he had completed nine passes for like 40 yards in the first half at one point he was throwing the ball you know three and four yards down the field only on the ones he was completing and then with about two minutes to go in the second uh, quarter the chargers have a third and one and they inexcusably ran like a wide receiver reverse that was fumbled right they recovered but they had to punt the ball to jacksonville And I thought, okay, if the Jaguars drive the ball and score here, maybe it's at least interesting in the second half. And, Brian, from that point, the two-minute warning of the second quarter on, that might as well have been John Elway or Dan Marino out there. I mean, Trevor was essentially flawless in the last 32 minutes. Well, if you go back and you look at at the the Raiders game where they fell behind, you know, 17 to nothing, he led that drive at the end of the half. You know, the very same thing he did in Kansas City the next week, even though they lost that ballgame. It became commonplace for him over the second half of the season to get this team going at the end of the first half, and he did it again. So I thought maybe they could make it interesting. I I, I didn't know he could keep it going like that. And I, um, I just, I'm stunned, stunned that the Chargers didn't see what was possible and just kind of thought, well, we'll just keep doing what we want to do and didn't adjust at all. And, I mean, here we are. It was um, – Trevor Lawrence is a special quarterback. I think all of us thought he was going to be eventually that time is now. You know, look, there's been some unbelievable plays in Jaguar history. You were on the call for, you know, the Clyde Simmons interception of the shovel pass in Buffalo, the Brunel run in Denver, the Garrard run in Pittsburgh. I'm not exactly sure where this play goes on, you know, the list, but I would have to think it's somewhere in the top 10. Travis Etienne on fourth and one and the call by Doug Peterson in that situation. Well, let me preview. Uh, you always ask me at the end what's coming up on Jaguars.com in the next day or two. The film room segment that Jeff Lagerman does that I air in Jags Wired on Wednesdays and is up on social media is with Phil Rauscher, and he talks about going to a throwback formation. Throwback, wing T. Um, it's it's great television. Um, I would put that play because of the magnitude. And by that time, Fred Taylor and I were on the field and standing there and watched it happen. And you could feel the tension. It's fourth down. The come from behind opportunity is right there at your feet. You have to get this first down. Jaguars hadn't been very good at quarterback sneaks. You know, Doug Peterson said that himself. 
and then they pull this one out. I mean, the stones that it takes to try to outrun linebackers to the corner like that. But you go back and watch it. Chris Manhurts and Zay Jones each got their blocks perfectly. And then, of course, ETN does what ETN does, explodes. What a moment. It's, it's, I mean, it's up there. It's absolutely top 10. I don't want to take away from any other play. Um, it is among the greatest moments in Jaguars history, for sure. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, I asked Leon seriously this on the fifth quarter, uh, early, early Sunday morning when we were on following the game. Where this win ranks in the best wins in franchise history? And I asked him flat out, 96 Denver, your thoughts? And he said, look, it's absolutely in the conversation. Now, 96 Denver, they were a two-touchdown dog. They were in mile high. John Elway, we get it. But this win is probably, if not number one, Brian, probably just underneath that Denver win as far as the significance with the comeback that unfolded. It's number two. Denver Denver's number one uh, for what that meant for that football team and it put them in the AFC championship game. Now you go and win in Kansas City this week. Well, that'll be that'll be number one, right? Um, uh, it, but this is the it's obviously the biggest home moment since Morton Anderson, um, and it's right there with the biggest of the big. I would say it's number two on my list on Brian Sexton's list of big games. Um, this one is number two. You know, Brian, it's interesting <clears throat> that they're going back to Kansas City this week because you think back to 2018 when the wheels fell out from under this organization. They were three and one in 2018, coming off the AFC Championship game the week or the year prior. They go to Kansas City. That was the infamous Bortles where he threw the ball off the O lineman's helmet, was picked. It was a disaster at Arrowhead. They lost the game. And they basically never recovered. And then even bring it to this year, November 13th, 3-6, and six, they go to Kansas City, don't play all that bad, but they lose and they're 3-7. and seven. And if I would have told you walking off the field at Arrowhead that, you know what, they're 3-7, and seven, but on January 21st, they're going to come back here for the AFC Divisional Playoff, Brian, I, I would not have believed myself. What would you have thought at that time? Well, I, I wouldn't have believed it either because at that point they were not playing complimentary football, right? The defense was not getting the ball back to the quarterback. They weren't giving him short fields and extra possessions. The quarterback was wildly inconsistent. And at that point he had a, a flair for the dramatic, right? The 18 play drive in Indianapolis and the defense couldn't hold up. Uh, you know, the fourth quarter lead in Washington on opening day and the defense couldn't hold up. They just hadn't quite figured out that complimentary angle that Doug Peterson talks so much about in the first two months of the season. But they figured it out shortly after that and started to get things rolling after the loss in Detroit. So, you know, I, in, in the back of my mind, I probably would have sensed, yeah, you know, I mean, it's possible, but I didn't see it likely. And it goes to the coaching job that Doug Peterson has done. Uh, and Tony Dungy told us on drive time last week, that he voted for Doug for coach of the year. Man, if I had a vote in that AP vote, I would vote for him as well. Because where this team was and where this team is, is so night and day. And I'm not just talking in terms of the record. I'm talking in terms of the confidence level, the preparation level. I mean, these guys have learned over the last eight weeks how you prepare as a professional to play on Sunday. That takes time. This is the third youngest team in football. But he got them there this year. 
I didn't know that was possible. What a tremendous job. And the last eight weeks, I've seen the transformation of this team. More importantly, though, Ryan, this quarterback. I mean, what we saw on Saturday night. And then, of course, he dunked on the rest of the NFL when he shows up at uh, the Waffle House <laughs> in Jack's Beach, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning. I mean, when we look at this franchise and its history and its growth years from now, this moment, this weekend, this season will be that cauldron where we put all the ingredients in and the soup finally came together. Um, hey, look, I've been saying the golden age of football in Jacksonville is just beginning. And I've been hoping that was the case. Trevor proved on Saturday night. No, that is absolutely the case. A couple of more for Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, last week we talked about week three against the Chargers and how that was so long ago that you really can't take much out of that. Well, there's another rematch, and the game against Kansas City was much more recent, November 13th, two months and some change ago. What, if anything, can the Jaguars take out of November 13th to use it on Saturday afternoon? That they can't score enough points. In other words, if you think getting to 28 is enough, you better go and get the ball back on defense and give the offense one more opportunity. I mean, you you can't score enough points to beat Kansas City. And you look at their record and people who are listening to this say, of course, no duh. You, you, you have to score as many as possible. But, you know, that isn't how NFL teams do it, right? When the Jaguars went to play the Texans at the end of the season, they didn't say, hey, balls to the wall, let's go score as many as we can. They said, let's score what we need and let's win, right? There are certain game plans where you don't just let it all air out. In Kansas City, you better. You better be ready to go and score 35 to 38 points if you want a chance to win. Because we saw last year what that quarterback can do with 13 seconds left in the game. He's the only quarterback over 5,000 passing yards. He's the only quarterback over 40 touchdowns this year. He's an amazing talent. They've got the best game day mind, I think, in Andy Reid, which is, by the way, Doug's mentor. Um, you better be ready to go score, and you got to let it all hang out. Let's go. You know, I think you beat to beat Tennessee, and I think a lot of people were satisfied with that. I was of the opinion that LA's coming in here with very little playoff experience as well. Uh, they lost Mike Williams. You're at home, first prime time game, and then primarily the way the first half went, I'm like, oh man, this is going to leave an awful taste in the mouth during this off season. But then they come back and they do what they did last week. Now, obviously, the players, the organization, the coaching staff, I'm taking them out of the equation. You and I are talking directly to the fan base. Do you get the sense that the fan base believes whatever happens in Kansas City doesn't really matter because it's a house money situation at this point? You know, Ryan, you do a daily show, so you're probably a little better connected. Let me answer it this way. I think the people that I talk to when I'm at Publix, right, the people that, that I see walking their dogs in the morning that want to talk, they're thrilled with where this franchise is. They're excited about the development of the quarterback. They're really grateful that there's a coach of Doug Peterson's caliber running the program. They feel really good. Um, but I don't get the sense that the fan base is ready to see this thing end. And so if they lose on Saturday, there will be some people who will be sick to their stomach on Sunday. Now, will they wake up on Monday and have a perspective of, I can't wait till next year? 
100%. But these players in this locker room, Evan Ingram was with Fred and I on the field on Sunday. And I had my arm around him because I was trying not to let him go as, as I was doing the conversation. He grabbed me back, put his arm around me and said, you know, we're far from done. That's the mentality that this team has. And you got to have that. And I think that's the mentality the fan base has. Ryan, listen, at halftime, I'm up in the West Club with Fred. And I'm looking at the ramps, waiting for people to start coming out. It was cold. They were down 27 to 7. I wouldn't have blamed anybody for leaving. And yet, it was just a few older folks here and there who were leaving the cold air and going home. When I got to the field with two minutes and change left to play, those towels were twirling. There was people everywhere. So, no, I don't think the fan base has any thought that house money is in play here. They believe in their quarterback and they believe in their team and they want to see their team win. Brian, final final thought. Um, last week I asked you about Shad Khan. I want to ask yeah. you about Trent Balky this week. Okay. Um, he was put through the ringer. Let's be honest. A year ago, people were dressing up as clowns. And I, at the time, and I thought that was ridiculous. I still think it's ridiculous. I, I understood the fans' frustration, but the frustration should have been at a lot of other people and not at a guy that was only here for two years. And Trent Balky, yep. he was the last guy in the room. And what's Urban left, and and there was no more bullets to be fired his direction. You had to you had to find somebody, and it was Balky. Having said that, the emotion on that man's face, the last two wins against Tennessee and Los Angeles, it's been unbelievable. What do you think this run has meant to Trent Balky? I know what it's meant to him because. I have taken the time to get to know him, and I didn't know him a year ago. COVID kept him away from a lot of people. Um, and, and there's a lot of people in the media that will tell you that they really appreciate him for the candidness that he shows when he comes and does an off-the-record segment with us, right? Um, it means everything to him because he understands that his reputation in the league was tarnished by the relationship that went south with Jim Harbaugh. But we all have those things happen to us. There are people in every one of our lives who we can say, I wish I had handled that situation better. And the same is true for Trent Balky. And he didn't think it was fair, even though he didn't say anything, but he didn't think that it was fair that one relationship should so tarnish his reputation that he didn't get the chance to try again, to have another opportunity. And he earned that chance and, and he earned the owner's trust and you can see why. Hey, look, free agency's tough. But look at the free agents he's brought in here the last two years. Look at the guys who are contributing. And, and you can look at just the three receivers off the top, although Marvin Jones is the fourth. And all of those guys are free agents and all have had big years. Look at Roy Robertson-Harris. Look at Brandon Sheriff, right? Look at Sean Jenkins. Yep, Shaq Griffin didn't work out. But if you list all the free agents, <laughs> Foye Aluakon. Holy Vajukasi, done a hell of a job. And the draft, everybody wanted to just pour cold water on Trayvon Walker. They're not now. They are not now. Can Walker play better? Yep. And and I can tell you, Tread Balky expects that he will play better. Um, I, I, I thought that the vitriol that was shown to him was incredibly over the top. And he was that guy in the spot with a franchise that had suffered for so long 
that he took the heat and he never said anything. Right. He didn't come out and defend himself publicly. He didn't lash back out at people. He just went on and did his job. So I'm not asking people to apologize to Trent and he isn't either. But how about a, a tip of the hat to a guy who just put his head down and did his job and built a, a roster that Doug Peterson has then turned into a playoff team and a division title winner. Balky's done a good job, and people should give him a clean slate because I think he's earned it. It has been an amazing, amazing run by this football team. I'll tell you what else, too. You guys at Jaguars.com are setting the bar higher every week, from the hype videos to the video production you guys do with the team coming in the locker room, off the field. I mean, it's appointment viewing for me on social media now, the digital team over there. I absolutely love it. Cannot wait for what you guys have this week. You gave us a little teaser earlier, Brian. What else is coming up in anticipation of this game in Kansas City on Saturday? Well, before we get there, the film room segment that Jeff does with Rousher is, I mean, just people are going to really enjoy that. Wait for sounds of the game that will uh, will come out to the web and will air uh, on Jags Wired on Wednesday night. Um, What that crew does, led by Trent Padilla, and the effort, and it's artistic what they do, how they go and put together. They get on the road, and they're out in New York City getting a shot of the rain falling on a street corner because it adds to the elements. It adds to the emotion of the piece. They sell out for that piece, and it is so good, and I look forward to it every week. And if I thought the Titans win was great, and it was, Wait till you see this week's. Absolutely cannot wait. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, this seems to be working. All right, let's go to Kansas City. Let's get a W, and then you and I will talk AFC Championship game one week from today. How about that? You know where to find me. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chiefs. Saturday, 4.30. The game will be heard right here on 1010XL. Let's talk to a man that's always kind enough to join us here in the city of Jacksonville, my buddy Ryan Fowler. He writes for the Draft Network, and he's always kind enough to join us. Ryan, how we doing, man? I'm doing well, doing well. I'm the biggest Jaguar fan in the world this week. Hope you can go and uh, take down the, the, the Goliath that is Patrick Mahomes this week. Rooting, rooting for you guys. Ryan, I wanted to have you on. You and I talked about the time this winning streak started for Jacksonville. Yeah. The last time we talked was the end of November. Since then, the Jaguars have won seven out of eight, including six in a row. Ryan, from your vantage point, why did this happen? Why is Jacksonville begun to win all of these games that they were losing earlier in the year? I think a lot of it has to to kind of go into what Doug Peterson has been able to do for this entire franchise and the shoulder to lean on that Trevor Lawrence has now had. You know, last year there was obviously expectations when Urban Meyer was in the building and obviously they fell flat on their face in that aspect. And you get a guy in the building that showed up with a ring on his finger after winning the Super Bowl with the Eagles, there's expectations there. And you have a lot of guys on offense and defense that are young, and we'll get to those guys that have showed up. But you have expectations, and these guys have been able to, as you get more snaps under your belt, the Chad Mumas of the world that have come on late in this year, these guys consistently want to play well for their head coach. And you start to have some success, and you win two games. You win three games in a row. And you're starting to say, hey, you know, this is a rather weak AFC South at the top. 
we're starting to play with fire a little bit. We're starting to compete with not just the AFC South, but the, the Titans, if you will, of the of the whole entire AFC conference. And now you got a guy at Trevor Lawrence that's playing his best ball at the right time, despite the ugly first half against the Chargers, who came back. That's what told me the most about Trevor, was coming back in that second half of what his progression is. But you got young guys playing with fire, and all sometimes all it takes is a metaphorical light bulb to go off, and a young team with confidence is the scariest thing in the NFL. Ryan, you studied Trevor Lawrence with your work at the Draft Network, and look, it did not get off to the great start for him last year. Heck, it wasn't even great at the beginning of this season, but something happened, I believe, after that London game. They came home after losing to Denver to fall to two and six, and ever since that point, Ryan, he has looked like a completely different quarterback. In your assessment of Trevor, what has changed? Yeah, I think it's everything is getting a little easier for him within the offense. It's getting him in rhythm the first three, four series of the ball game. You got a guy, you know, that's six five, six six. He's he's got all the tools in the world to be this elite quarterback that you obviously took him first overall to be. But it's obviously getting him in rhythm with the guys on the outside that have really come into their own these last few weeks, especially within the first quarter of the football game. Not everything has to be play action where you're asking him to make three, four reads in a progression. It's screens, it's timing routes, it's little slants here and there. It's feeding the ball to a guy like Travis Etienne, whether it's in the run game or outside in the flat areas of the offense and in the passing game. It has You have to get guys in rhythm. And especially this week when you're going into the environment that is Arrowhead in the cold and maybe rainy, we will see getting him in rhythm early when you got guys like Chris Jones and Frank Clark and you got George Karlaftis coming off the edge, getting Trevor in rhythm which Doug Peterson has done a really good job this last two months of the season, that's going to be so important for him to get his feet wet in this football game. Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Ryan, Trevor Lawrence has had some great weapons around him. And look, Trent Baalke, the GM, got ridiculed this offseason for the money they gave Christian Kirk, the money they gave Zay Jones, bringing Evan Ingram in on a one-year, I think $9 million deal. But good grief. Last week, those three guys combined 25 catches, over 230 yards, three touchdowns. All three have had career years here in Jacksonville. I mean, I know it's about Trevor and Doug Peterson's play calling, but Ingram, Zay Jones, and Christian Kirk have been nothing short of phenomenal for this Jaguar offense. Yeah, I completely agree. And I just think that you're playing your best ball at the best time. If this was week three and four, we're going to say, oh, great. <clears throat> Excuse me. Had a kind of a good week, right? But now you're moving in to the playoffs. And Evan Ingram has been a guy who is going to expand the middle portions of this offense, not just be a security blanket as a sure set of hands for Trevor, but be someone that can stretch the defense, make safeties come in the box and cover, change the math a little bit from a defensive perspective. And exa- you're exactly right. There were so many concerns. Trent Bulky, why are you paying Christian Kirk? Why are you paying Zay Jones? What are you saying now? How does it look when you actually have weapons on the outside, guys that can separate at every level of the defense, and then you got a quarterback that can stand there and make any throw in the book? So it all is coming together at the right time, I feel like, for Jacksonville. And if I'm Doug Peterson and I'm Trevor Lawrence, you have absolutely nothing to lose. Kansas City, are they the same team as they were last year? Absolutely not. But you're a Jacksonville team led by Trevor Lawrence and a young core on offense really anchored by Luke Fortner, a rookie center that's done a hell of a job within the interior, 
you have absolutely nothing to lose going to Kansas City, and I expect them to play well. Ryan, you cover the NFC East. You live in the D.C. area. The whole Evan Ingram thing. He has come down here. He has been a fan favorite. He's had a career year, and I don't think there's any way the Jaguars let him leave. He's a free agent, so they're hopefully resign him. If not, I even think the franchise tag potentially could be in play there. Why did it end so badly for him in New York? Because he's come here, and he's been spectacular. Yeah, I think it's sometimes all about situation. It's about opportunity. It's about different regimes. Obviously, New York has been kind of a little bit of a dumpster fire, right, these last five to seven years. And that kind of ties into, as far as morale for players, chemistry, does he want even want to compete for that team? And sometimes, again, it is all about opportunity, situation, and atmosphere. And for a guy like Evan, who really has enjoyed a revitalization to his career this year, I mean, this guy was a first-round pick back in 2017 out of Ole Miss. He's had 6'3", 245, runs a low 4'4", 40. This, this is a guy that was looked upon as an elite tight end coming out of school. And the job that he's done, especially over this last month of the season, the game against Tennessee, the game against the Jets, and obviously last week against the Chargers, as someone that's really found his own and just, I would love for him to be back next year and really continue this core of offensive players that Jacksonville has on offense because it's an intriguing one. When we talk about the AFC, the AFC West with all the talents that were out there, the Justin Herberts and obviously the Mahomes of the world and Josh Allen up in Buffalo. Why are we not including Trevor Lawrence and this young core of athletes that they have? Because I feel like they're on the fringe, Ryan, of becoming one of these teams and the team really to beat as we move forward down the line in the AFC South. Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network. Ryan, on the defensive side of the ball, again, I know you studied a lot of these guys coming into the draft process, whether it's Tyson Campbell at corner, Andre Sisco at safety, obviously Trayvon Walker. You mentioned Chad Muma, Devin Lloyd, Devon Hamilton has been really good. All these guys in the league, what, three years or less, and all are playing huge roles for this Jaguar defense. They are, and I think it starts this week with Trayvon Walker and and, really, and Josh Allen opposite him. Josh was absolutely fantastic, wreaked havoc all day long for, against the Chargers, but it, it starts with Trayvon. It starts with your guys in the middle with Devin Lloyd and Foley Olakun and Chad Muma coming in and offering you some coverage on third down. And then Tyson Campbell, guys being physical on the outside. Don't allow Patrick Mahomes to get in rhythm. That's the biggest thing. When you when when the Chiefs don't have their most success, it's when obviously he's had to move outside of the pocket, outside of structure, and things break down. Now, is it is it it's is it easier said than done? Absolutely. It's Patrick Mahomes. And right now you you might as well just give him the, the Hall of Fame jacket as it is, how we talk about this kid, but he's absolutely fantastic. We know that. But you gotta get after him. You gotta get hands in his face. And if you don't, if you're not able to push the pocket because they do have a fantastic offensive line, you gotta get your hands up. Roy Robertson Harris, guys in the middle, Dwayne Smoot. You got to get your hands up in his in his throwing lanes because there isn't a Tyree Kill on the outside. All the talk this year was about how different was, was this offense going to look because of the spacing. Well, you still got Travis Kelsey running routes. So Devin Lloyd and Ola Kuhn are going to be huge in the coverage game this week because he's going to be targeted eight to ten times, probably at least. And you look back at that week 10 game, they were picked on a ton. But on the outside, the Juju Smith-Schusters, the Kadarius Tonys of the world, get in the go those guys' faces, change the math up front in the box, and force Patrick Mahomes to make plays outside of structure and really hand the ball off to Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon, force them to get the ground game going because, as we know, the best way to counter an elite passing offense 
get guys in his face, and nobody is comfortable when there's guys around his feet. So that's the biggest thing. This game starts with Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen threatening Orlando Brown and Andrew Wiley off the edges. Final moments here with Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network. Ryan, you look at the AFC as a whole. Mahomes is 27. Josh Allen, I believe, is 26. Burrow, 25. Trevor Lawrence, 23. Those are the guys that are left. But then you got Herbert, who's 24. Lamar Jackson is 25. I mean, go on down the line. It it is insane, the young quarterbacks in the AFC, and it is vital to have found your guy. And clearly here in Jacksonville, Ryan, to me there's no more question. The Jaguars have one of those guys. They have found their guy in 23-year-old Trevor Lawrence. Absolutely. And it's always about evolution. It's continuing to improve and getting the right people in the building, not just around him from an athlete's perspective, but who is he going to in meetings? Who is he going to on the practice field when the cameras are off, when the lights are off? And you have Doug Peterson, who has obviously been revered for his success in Philadelphia and how he progressed Carson Wentz. Now, not perfect. And I think Trevor Lawrence will be a better quarterback, obviously, down the road than what Carson Wentz was later in his career. But this is a kid that's been absolutely fantastic in the improvement that I saw. And the biggest thing with the Chargers, as I mentioned at the top of the interview, was how he came back in that game against the Chargers. Everything was easy as a five-star prospect in high school in Cartersville, Georgia, at Clemson, sitting in the pocket for four and a half, five seconds. But how would you react down 27-0 in a playoff game against Justin Herbert and that high-powered offense at home? You come out of the locker room, you're down 20, you throw three touchdown passes, you don't turn the ball over, and you lead the Jaguars' offense back. That's what told me a lot about who Trevor Lawrence is and how he's evolved moving into year two. Because it was the playoffs. You could very easily sat back, sulked on the sideline, and went into the offseason hoping for more. But how he came back in that ballgame as a leader, as a face of the franchise, a guy that this organization has hitched their wagon to – Trevor Lawrence coming back in that ballgame told me everything that I need to know about who he is moving forward. Hey, Ryan, final question. Like we said, you're in the NFC East. You live in the D.C. area. Four teams left in the NFC, and good grief, three of them from the NFC East. You got Dallas. You got the Giants. You got Philadelphia. What a division. What's a quick thought from you on the two NFC games this weekend? Yeah, I'm really excited for that Giants-Eagles game. I don't think the Giants have anything to lose. I think Daniel Jones and Brian Dayball, the job he's done in New York, is is obviously just something to to honor. Right, he's that talent. The talent on that roster is just one of the worst in the league, and he's been able to coach his tail off for them. Philadelphia, we'll see what happens with Jalen Hurts. How healthy he is, not playing for a few weeks. You know that'll be interesting. And then you got San Francisco with Mister Irrelevant. Not so much anymore, right? With Brock Purdy in San Francisco and that electric defense with against Dallas and how they looked last night against the Dallas Cowboys. So, you know, I'm just I'm excited. I think those two games are going to be excellent. Um, still, right now, I think that San Francisco is my favorite to come out of the conference. But man, two great games this weekend. By this time, you and I have talked draft for like three months. Uh, normally here in Jacksonville, and I cannot believe it's the middle of January and the Jaguars are still playing. Absolutely incredible. Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network. Ryan, we will talk soon, and uh, let's hope here in Jacksonville the Jaguars can keep this thing going. Thank you, my friend. Yes, sir. Thanks so much, Ryan. And thank you to Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Always appreciate the insight of Ryan. He studies these guys 
every year getting ready for the draft. And recently, he has studied a lot of the impactful Jaguars because the Jaguars have so many young guys on their roster that are making such a big impact to this improbable run. There are only eight teams remaining in the NFL playoffs, and your Jacksonville Jaguars are one of the eight. The divisional round this Saturday, they go to Arrowhead to play Kansas City kickoff at 4.30, and of course you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network, always appreciate him. Ben Arthur, AFC South reporter, foxsports.com. Always enjoy the conversation with Ben. Thank him for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Jags mega fan, David Mendenhall. Love getting the fans' perspective on what's going on with the Jacksonville Jaguars. David's getting ready to drive, that's right, drive to Kansas City to support the team on Saturday. The Jaguars are certainly lucky to have fans like David Mendenhall. And as always, thank you to Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, for joining us tonight. Always appreciate the conversation with Brian. That'll just about do it. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Wednesday, and we'll do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green in Jacksonville. Thank you for staying up late with us here on a Tuesday on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday, and we'll talk to you tomorrow night on a Wednesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.